0: Diversity and inclusion initiatives have become top of mind in every facet of American culture. This includes public companies pursuing the worthy goal of increasing gender and racial diversity on their boards of directors. Hi, this is Renee Koa of Zurich North America with the Future of Risk podcast. For many public companies, these goals have been a priority for quite a while, but it may also be making them vulnerable to certain kinds of lawsuits. Joining us today is Lior Kaplan, Management Liability Product Officer at Zurich North America. In addition to exploring the challenges for public companies in the United States, Leor also will be sharing proactive steps any business can take to manage these risks as they pursue their environmental, social, and governance, aka ESG, initiatives. Lior, thanks for joining us today happy to be here now before we dive into our topic i thought it might be helpful if you could give us an overview on diversity and inclusion also known as d and i and its role in the larger esg goals for boards of directors
1: sure happy to so you know these days really not a day goes by where you don't have esg show up on the front page of a, a financial periodical law review paper so ESG continues to be a very important topic for public companies. Investors, regulators, law firms, they're all actively monitoring board oversight and disclosure of various ESG topics. And so I think the idea is that in time ESG metrics are expected to be able to assess and measure company performance on a range of environmental, social and governance topics. But as you alluded to, this is an evolving and shifting legal landscape. In terms of how ESG is being measured and disclosed, and also new regulation coming into play. And so with that, it becomes a, a pretty complex and complicated issue for public companies to manage.
0: Well, are, what are some examples of topics you were saying? It's not just diversity, right?
1: Correct. So, you know, a really important topic right now in ESG is climate change. So how various companies are are disclosing or promoting their climate change initiatives, how they are measuring that progress, and how and what they are disclosing to investors and to regulators.
0: Okay, got it. And as you said, ESG risks represent important concerns for D&O or directors and officers, insurers. Could you elaborate on that?
1: Sure. Anytime you really have either new laws or regulations that companies need to follow and be mindful of, and that creates the, the potential for new types of litigation or new types of, of claims or issues to arise. And so it's very important for, for public companies, their insurers, their counsel to be guided by both past experience and how they how they feel the current legal issues and challenges are likely to proceed. And ESG, you know, we mentioned climate change. We're going to talk about diversity and inclusion today, but there are quite frankly, dozens of topics within the the umbrella of ESG that companies are are going to be taking time to really try to figure out and determine what makes sense and what is best for their company, but also being mindful of what they will be legally required to do.
0: Now, Lear, in the past, you mentioned some topics were uh, employee safety, operational neglect, data security workplace sexual harassment. These are all of course I'm sure still um, active issues, but you did say that there are some new risks out there and you were referring to climate change and D&I?
1: Correct, correct. So what we've seen is diversity and inclusion or D&I has really come to the forefront in the last 12 to 18 months, both in terms of the regulatory landscape and also in terms of litigation. We've seen uh, a few plaintiffs' law firms trying to scrutinize and really bring pressure on companies that they feel e- either have failed to promote DNI sufficiently or have failed to meet their own DNI goals.
0: Okay, so that segues to an increase in what is known as a shareholder derivative lawsuit, which, as you said, alleges that some public company boards are not diverse enough. Lior, even saying shareholder derivative lawsuit is daunting for some of us. Can you explain to our audience what it is?
1: Sure, happy to. So a shareholder derivative case is essentially a mechanism through which shareholders can bring lawsuits against the directors and officers of a public company if the shareholders feel that the directors and officers have breached their fiduciary duties to the company. So it is a form of accountability to the company itself, right? The directors and officers owe fiduciary duties to the company to work in the company's best interests and pursue the company's uh, interest above all else. And shareholders have this ability to insist that the company hold their directors and officers accountable if they feel that they have failed in those duties.
0: These recent cases arising from D&I are derivative lawsuits. What are they alleging?
1: The lawsuits generally allege some boilerplate allegations that are found in each of the complaints. So first and foremost, the primary act that is challenged is is the representations concerning diversity and inclusion. So several of the cases cite the corporate statements that tout diversity and inclusion as corporate values and important priorities for each particular company. And the sources of these statements range from proxy statements to CSRs, or Corporate Social Responsibility, reports. OK, it can um,
0: even be something on their website, right?
1: Correct. It has been communications contained on the company's website, in fact. So what the plaintiffs will challenge is either the accuracy or the sufficiency of, of the statements touting diversity as a goal, as a priority. Many of the complaints also refer to prior wrongdoing or prior issues that a particular company might have had in connection with whether it's diversity and inclusion or some other S social topic as purported red flags or noticed that there was an issue that should have been addressed, but that the directors and officers allegedly failed to do so. And then finally, many of the complaints allege that the lack of diversity and inclusion at either the board level or within the workforce itself may prevent the company from reaching its full financial potential. So there have been some studies by consulting firms indicating that companies with ethically or culturally diverse boards are more likely to experience higher profits than companies that lack diversity. So that's a third category of allegation that we've seen in in several of these complaints.
0: I think it's worth noting uh, in a conversation you and I had earlier that these lawsuits are hitting companies that really have been making positive changes to their boards, right?
1: Correct. And unfortunately, that's something we've seen in other shareholder or securities litigation is, you know, companies that when they do speak and they do communicate what their priorities are, their initiatives, their goals and and how they're progressing, that does open up the directors and officers potentially to a claim that the communication itself wasn't completely accurate wasn't complete or was in some other way misleading. So that's correct. Many of these complaints are referring to, as we mentioned, communications by the company to shareholders, to regulators, to other stakeholders explaining their current view of diversity and inclusion efforts and their goals and what they're trying to do to achieve their goals. And unfortunately, that has resulted in some of this litigation. It's become a very kind of shotgun approach. They're just suing Any company, without really delving into whether or not there's merit, they just, you don't today have a racially diverse board, we're suing you. Okay. So that you can't really do anything about it, even if you had diversity and you will have more diversity, it doesn't really matter, they're going to name you.
0: What are the shareholders seeking from these companies?
1: So I think in virtually all of the complaints, the the plaintiffs allege or seek very similar relief. They're looking for the removal of one or more directors and the nomination of at least one black director to the board of directors. They are seeking the clawback of the current director's compensation for the last year or so to be distributed to a charity. They're seeking annual diversity and anti-harassment training for the directors and officers of the companies. They're seeking revised incentive plans that tie A certain percentage of executive compensation to the achievement of diversity goals. Also, in some cases, they're seeking the publication of an annual diversity report. Almost all of the complaints seek determination of the company's current auditor. And then finally, the creation of a fund. So anything ranging from a few hundred million dollars to a billion dollars, a fund set aside for the express purpose of hiring black directors, officers, employees, and other underrepresented groups to join the company.
0: Thanks for explaining that. Now, so far, how many of these lawsuits have been dismissed?
1: Well, thus far, every complaint that has been reviewed by a court has, in fact, been dismissed. And that's really for two critical reasons. Number one, many of these companies have what's known as a form provision bylaw that requires that shareholder derivative actions be filed in Delaware Chancery Court, and so I believe that to date none of the diversity and inclusion derivative actions have in fact been filed in Delaware Chancery Court, and that has resulted in one basis for dismissal. The other has to do with demand futility. So essentially what demand futility requires is that if a shareholder feels that directors and officers have failed in their obligations to the company, have breached their fiduciary duties the shareholder must first approach the board and insist that it bring a derivative action to address that alleged conduct. Now, in certain limited areas, the shareholder may be excused from bringing that demand and may proceed with the shareholder derivative action. But the standard for excusal is is quite high and it's what's referred to again as futility, right? The demand would have been futile because there aren't sufficient independent directors to review my demand. So therefore I'm allowed to proceed under the demand utility principle.
0: And you know, the goal of becoming more diverse is not going anywhere and hopefully it is going to continue and we'll see uh, more in terms of racial and gender diversity on boards. But I did wanna um, ask you about the cases that get dismissed. The litigation still exacts a price for companies, right?
1: Correct. So these types of class actions can be extremely expensive to defend. Sometimes a company will impanel or create a special litigation committee to investigate the allegations or the demand. And so, yes, it can be expensive to defend, and it can take significant time and energy from the senior executives of the company. And that, again, goes back to two of the reasons why you might have a forum provision bylaw requiring the case to be brought in one forum, one court, Delaware Chancery Court, and also again the the principle of demand futility and why it's important that the company have the ability to first review and examine the shareholder's grievance and decide what is the best course of action for the company to take.
0: Well, speaking of courses of action, I know that you are going to share some proactive steps that any company can take uh, to manage this risk as they move forward in pursuing diversity and inclusion.
1: Correct. As with any other good trend, it is always helpful for the company to bear in mind that there are these exposures that can arise if and when a company speaks on a particular topic. So it's understanding who is the committee or who is on the committee that owns the company's ESG statements? How and when and by whom are those metrics or data being disclosed to the public and to regulators? Who is responsible for monitoring progress and how is it tracked? And then also you know, something that, that has arisen in the litigation, does the incentive plan incorporate a mechanism to gauge the achievement or incorporate achievement of ESG goals? in terms of compensation. And then finally, I would say, you know, the, a forum selection clause, whether it's a federal forum selection clause for securities, class actions, or a Delaware Chancery Court selection clause for derivative cases, can also be a really important tool for companies to understand that if they do have a dispute with a shareholder or, or group of shareholders, that they will know exactly which forum that dispute will be litigated and reviewed and that allows the company to plan accordingly.
0: And Lear, I want to share with our audience that on October 20th, our Future of Risk podcast was with Julia Oldmans of Zurich, who discussed the new D&I standards from the International Standards Organization, or ISO. These are terrific guidelines that can help any size company as they pursue diversity and inclusion initiatives. You'll find it on our Future of Risk website or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So Leor, I wanted to talk about insurance as it pertains to directors and officers policies. Where does that come in and how does it help to protect a company and its board members?
1: With a case like a shareholder derivative action, your DNO policy is a really critical tool and resource that you have both as a director and officer but potentially even for the broader company. So the DNO policy indemnifies directors and officers in the event of a shareholder derivative action. And the other thing that I would say about the DNO insurance market is that you're working with sophisticated carriers like Zurich with extensive experience in in these types of cases. And they're able to survey not only the particular case that a company might be involved in, but will bring all the knowledge and and resources they've gained over the years in dealing in other litigation to bear on that case. And so you know, a DNO insurer can partner with the company, the general counsel, the broker, defense counsel, and really provide important support when it comes to these types of litigations that are maybe sometimes exploring novel ground and raising new issues.
0: Terrific. This has been wonderful, Lior, and I really appreciate your insights, but we're not done yet because it's time for the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a few questions and answer quickly, but please feel free to elaborate. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. One, what's your favorite insurance movie and why?
1: Okay. So I don't know if this would count as an insurance movie, but for me it does. So I would say The Incredibles. And that's because, if you recall, Mr. Incredible worked for an insurance company during the day. So he was a fantastic insurance adjuster.
0: I did not know that. I will have to watch that movie. Thank you. Um, Okay, two. They say that sports and arts can prepare you for life and business. So is there a sport you played growing up or a musical instrument you played? And what did they teach you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would I would answer in the affirmative to both. So I played soccer growing up and I also played guitar. I'll say that soccer really taught me how to work as part of a team and to understand how important it is to to make sure that I was playing in my position and that my teammates could rely upon me to, you know, play in my position. And then in terms of playing a musical instrument, that really taught me the importance of practice and just having you know, a technical foundation from which to really learn and grow.
0: That's great. Do you have a hobby that might surprise your colleagues?
1: I I do. I don't know if it'll surprise my colleagues, but I really enjoy hiking and jogging. So being outdoors would be my hobby.
0: Finally, what's your favorite vacation spot and why?
1: Yeah, I would say these days, my favorite vacation spot is wherever I happen to be while on vacation. (laughs) So if I am taking time off and enjoying some time with my family and friends. That's my favorite vacation spot.
0: That's a wonderful answer. Leor. thank you so much for joining us. This has been great.
1: Thanks for having me.